Welcome to A Court of Transformation and Awakening. I am Amanda Grace Harrison. And I'm Lori Gray. And today we are discussing the prologue and chapter one of book two, A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. Yay! We're finally on book two. We are finally on book two. I'm curious to hear from from the fans if you guys if you guys message us if you've already read book one and two. If there's anybody out there who are book one fans, but we were talking about how for us and for most of the fandom, book one is kind of just just what you need to get to book two. And most of us are book two fans, hardcore fans. (laughs) And so Amanda and I have been eagerly awaiting getting to book two. And we loved, I think, I mean, I love doing the book one podcast. It was really fun. But I was like, if this is fun, can you imagine season two? I get to actually talk about our favorite. Yay. <laughs> so we are finally, we are finally here, but these first few chapters are a little rough. Yes, they are a little rough, but we're going to get through them together. Yeah. <laughs> so we have in the, the, the prologue, we get to see the content of one of Feyre's many nightmares that she's been having for these three months since they came out from under the mountain. And then chapter one is her her physical experience of what what she goes through every night when she wakes up and throws up and has to go to the bathroom and cool herself off and, oh, jeez. Man. All, all the fun PTSD stuff. So oh, fun PTSD. So overall, I gotta say, I immediately could relate to Farah Moore book two because, because I've never been starving, starving and had to go out and hunt an animal to provide food for my family. I I've never been under the mountain. I've never had to murder people. I've never had any of that. But I still feel like just PTSD. Like every almost everybody I know has in some level of PTSD. So that's much more relatable to me of like seeing her go through this. I'm like, Oh girl. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And like, and one of the things, you know, we've said multiple times that we love these books because they're so um, they're sort of true to life. And like we talked about the idea of going through what she went through under the mountain and not having PTSD would be very weird and right. unusual and then okay. Like, okay i'm high fame now now i'm gonna just go on with life and be a superhero nope she's still gotta deal with it that was tragic and terrible okay now this is interesting though so you said you what you said and i agree that like i relate to this ptsd experience a lot being a person that's had ptsd and you know you said most like most people have had it the interesting thing is like i do think that most people have dealt with some version of or at least pts yeah, that's true. They maybe didn't go all the way into a whole, yeah, disorder. Um, but some version of you know, and the and the the concept of a of a flashback, a PTSD flashback. What that is, I actually do think most people do experience that to some degree and have experienced that to some degree. And I also think most people do not know that that is what they are experiencing. I've seen that be the case because I have talked to people. Okay, and I think the issue is how it's portrayed in television. And how it's portrayed in the media. Like when they talk about a flashback, it's like suddenly I'm seeing images and I'm hearing sounds and I can't tell the difference between one or the other. And they're like a complete disconnect. Like that's like a level 10. That does happen. And there's also this level of PTSD flashback, which is just that like we we're experiencing emotions that aren't current. And 
And the question, oh my gosh, this is like a story from like early in coaching. Like if my, I don't think my coach would ever listen to this podcast in a million years. Um, but I just know that like, I love him, but we, we were in the middle of a session and I was talking about something. And this is when I was still learning about how all of this worked. And I was talking about an experience that I had and I was so upset and it was such a thing. And I'm wanting to work through it cognitively. And he asked me, he said, okay, so in that experience, how old did you feel? Okay. Those are the questions where like, I kind of struggle with stuff. That's not really concrete or I did at the time. And I got a little grumpy. I'm like, I forget how old I was at the time. I'm like, I'm 36. I felt 36. Don't ask me dumb questions. Right. Like, (laughs) poor guy. Um, not always the most open to things. I'm like something about that felt weird. I'm like, I'm not willing. Of course I felt my current age. I'm like my current age, but no, the truth was, and he was very patient with me as it took me a minute to get to the place of like, okay, nope. I felt about 14. I felt about 12. Uh, And that was a big thing for me. I'm like the times remember I'm in my life and I'm an adult and I don't feel my current age. And it's not like, I don't know how old I am, but like when I connect with the emotional space, I'm like, "Mm, that feels really similar to when I was six. That feels really similar to when I was eight and I was in that position and understanding that that that's also a version of like a, a PTSD flashback or a complex PTSD flashback whenever we're here in the present at our current age, but emotionally we feel younger and we, it feels emotionally like something else. And whenever I've walked people through that, people are like, oh, well, yeah, I experienced that all the time, but they would never relate that to what the, like the most extreme versions that they saw portrayed in television and movies. Right. And so because they don't see it as that, they're not doing anything to work through it or heal it. Cause they don't, they don't recognize it as being in the same category, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So this, you know, so what they're portraying here, it, it is a little bit more extreme um, where she can't tell the difference between like the feel of her sweat and like the feel of blood, yeah. you know? So I, I do think that is a little bit more of like upper level break from reality, but I think, I think it was just important for me to note here. Like, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with clients of people who didn't realize that it could also look and feel like that. And I think if people knew it could look and feel like that, I think you're right. I think most people would recognize they have dealt with this to some degree. Yeah. Sadly. Sadly. But that's, that's reality. (laughs) It's reality these days, modern life. Yeah. I still feel it a lot. I can't tell you. I just made an Instagram post about this, about how like, I was like finding gray hairs and I was like laughing at like how many gray hairs I have right now. And also how often I, I feel like a kid, like how often I'm like, I feel like some adult's going to come and scold me or I'm waiting for an adult to rescue me. Damn it. They're never freaking coming. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate that realization. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Or like, taxes I'm like is there some grown-up that's gonna come show me how to like do this thing and it's like oh shoot I am the grown-up oh okay <laughs> yeah I feel you on that one I hate it <laughs> yeah but so but, but we get so in these chapters yeah, we get a really um I think a pretty accurate portrayal of what PTSD can look like and what it can feel like and I agree like I related to her um a ton on this level and I do think more people have experienced this than no. Um, Cause at this, I, my understanding at this point is like a hundred percent of people have experienced some form of trauma. Yeah. Maybe not pre pandemic, but post pandemic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's just the norm now. It's just the norm. Okay. So PTSD so, though. 
So we have PTSD. And when we're having that, we then also need to have tools to deal with it. And I love that this chapter that what, what favorite does here are actually pretty accurate to what we can do and or need to do in the midst of a flashback. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I love, I was like, good job, Sarah J. Mass, like slipping in some, some tools, yeah. <laughs> some self-regulating tools into this book in case people didn't know that. If it's like, oh my gosh, I'm having a moment. I'm going to do what Feyre did. Yes, yeah. do. It actually does. It actually does work because what we saw here. Okay. So let me go to chapter one. So we saw, Let's just she was the, counting her, she was counting her breaths. Yeah, and through my nose, out through my mouth. Which actually, I have heard research. Okay, I do have to say, good job on counting breaths. Good job on focusing on breathing. There's more and more research that doing full nasal breathing is better than any mouth breathing at all for calming the systems. I'm going to say I'm pro nasal breathing only, but if you still are counting your breaths, we're good to go. (laughs) Um, But so she's doing breath work in through the nose, out through the mouth, focusing on her breathing, doing that over and over Okay. That is excellent. Um, and there are, there are different versions of doing breath work and depending on how long you do in breath, how long you hold, how long you exhale, how long you break each different version does something a little bit different in the system. So I, the two that I use the most often I'll either do, um, inhale for five, exhale for five, I'll do the box breathing where inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. Um, or I do the extended out breath where I think it's like in for four, out for, what is it? Seven, four, seven, eight. Those are the three that I use the most. And they each do something a little bit differently. Um, I'm curious, like what, when you do, if you ever do breath work, like what, what is your most common? I haven't been doing counting, but I know there used to be one that I did. I have a, a breathing app that that counts them for you and you just follow the little ball. And I remember I used to like doing one like early in the day. There's one that actually lifts lifts your energy instead of it being a calming one. It was like you breathe, breathe in this count and it's going to and I would do that for my morning breathing session to get, get me going for the day. Each one, yeah, each one does something a little bit, does something a little bit different. Um, And so it's kind of fun to look at them. It's not just about breathing, like how you breathe and where the inhale and the exhale is. Yeah, it it changes, it changes different things. Um, Which by the way, so I want to come back to the book of what she did. But with that, um, another thing that's helpful whenever we're having a flashback is getting left, right connectivity going in the brain. And so our right side of our body is connected to the left side of our brain, right? Right side of the brain is connected to the left side of the body. And so we're, if we're in fight or flight, that's more right brain. And so we want to get left brain online, which we can do by doing things, focused activities with our right side. Let's just do a crossword puzzle real quick. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling stressed. I better do a crossword puzzle real quick to get my left brain going. But one of the breathing techniques I found that it, it combines breathing and it combines focused right-sided touch activities. It's called take five breathing. So like if you're if you're watching um, the video, you'll be able to see it. If not, just kind of uh, track with us. But um, so you take pointer finger on right hand and you take your left hand and you basically trace your fingers. So you inhale as you go up your thumb. And then you exhale down. So 
the outside. And then you trace up your finger finger and inhale as you trace up and you go real slow and you exhale as you trace down and inhale as you trace up and you go, you go really slowly up and down your fingers. This is really helpful for kids too. Yeah, I was thinking that. And yeah, because there's the, the touch, like, and like by focusing on like, just like the feel of the ridges of your finger on your hand, it's, it's sensation oriented. It helps get us back in the present. We're also slowing down our breathing. There's a few different things that, that can help bring us back. Um, I've been collecting for ages, all of those little things that I can, I've got, I think at this point, I've got like 50 different tiny little tricks like that, that you can do to come back to the present because I, I need them. Um, and some of them are so small. They're so they're, they're not difficult. It's not like we don't always have to sit down and do a 30 minute meditation. Um, another one. Okay. So with, since we're doing hand stuff. So like, if you look at your hand and there's a difference between like, I'm looking at my hand and I'm focusing on my hand right mm-hmm. now let your eyes like drift to the space between your hand so that your hand sort of comes out of focus and like relax your eyes. That actually helps because when we're in fight or flight, we go to like super focus, like on a thing. Oh, yeah. And by letting our eyes relax and like see a thing and not focus on it and sort of see beyond and like letting the eye relax a little bit tells the brain that like it's safe, just all kinds of like little stuff like that. Anyway, love it. Two tricks. I've got so many of them. I do have an ebook out that shares with all of that. When you get on my email list, you do get that shameless plug. Uh, yes, but <laughs> here we go. Um, so breath work is one thing that she does. I then- love when she just leans her head against the wall and flattens her hands against the chilled marble floor. That sounds so nice. I want to put my face against the cold marble floor when I'm when I'm all hot and bothered, and I, if I'd been throwing up. But in that but that's, situation, but that's another very real one. So two things. One, what she says here is that it's real. Yeah. So one of the other things, again, like this, this flashback is like I'm not in the present. Like we think we're at a different place, and so grounding ourselves in the present moment and touches one of them, touching things and mm. being real. The other thing is naming objects in the room, right? Okay, this is an ink pen. This is my book. This is my phone. This is my desk. This is my cup. And if people are actually really far gone and they can't find the names of objects, sometimes we can do colors. Mm. This is black. This is gray. That's green. That's blue. But it's all things. So you have to go find a word, which is the other side of your brain and gets it online and it grounds you in the present moment. If we're only slightly triggered, actually doing gratitude for things in your present environment is one of the quickest ways to, to get out of that state and back into the present. Um, but that's one of the huge, one of the things when we're having any sort of, um, flashback like this, is like, we have to come back to the present to what is real and what is right now, because the danger is somewhere in our past. The danger isn't right now. So it's here, but same thing. I love, I love the touch. Um, also the cold. Yes. That's also a huge thing. Um, if anybody out there deals with like, and again, by the way, this is not to be construed as medical advice. Um, you can find this yes. in an internet search. <laughs> let's just like, let's just do that disclaimer. Um, but sometimes if you're having a panic attack, one of the things that you can do, or if you're not in the present, go grab an ice cube and hold on to it. It's so stink. It's so cold that your brain gets focused on the sensation of the ice cube that's in your hand right now. And it's like, oh, we need to come back here. Cause that's like really uncomfortable and cold, like on our hand. 
and will like come back to the present because the sensation is, is uncomfortable. I've also heard people like stick their face in a bowl of ice. There is 0% chance of me sticking my face in a bowl of ice. Like that is just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> on a hot enough summer's day, maybe. Oh gosh, maybe. Yeah, but holding ice cube. Um, yeah, but so holding, uh, so holding the, the cold, it was a really good one. Um, yeah, so she did. So we see her doing breathing. We see her focusing on her breathing. We see her coming back to uh, the present. We see some of these things, but you know, it's a hand. It's it's a handful of activities. But you know, I loved that. I love that she put in some little things there that are actually real things that could be helpful for a person actually experiencing PTSD. Yeah, I'm sure she's been through some real stuff, which is how she's able to write all this. So she. She probably knows these from experience, bless her heart. Yep. Yep. But those, yeah. So those were really huge things for me in chapter one. Um, okay. Other big thing for me that I saw as a theme we see in the prologue in chapter one is this concept of Farah feeling broken. So broken. So broken that now she's actually wanting to die. <clears throat> and she's saying like when she gets to that when it's the third person in the dream and it's time to kill them there's no hesitation when she sees that it's her she's just ready my hands didn't tremble as i angled the dagger this time she's just ready she's like no 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 let's end this living nightmare that i've been trapped in for so now it's like six months that she's been trapped in she had the three months of the actual being trapped in a dungeon and tortured and challenged in every way possible and murdered, brutally murdered. And then now she's like, no, no, let's just end this. I'll just kill her, 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 this person who is me. I'll kill myself and then, and then it'll finally be over because I'm so broken and I'll never, I didn't think even eternity would be long enough to fix me. She's like, she's so broken. And the despair, she even mentions despair. Like she's just in this place where it's like, no, there's no hope. Yeah. Yeah. And like the very first line, it's not like, and I think that this is common. It's not just this thing happened and now I'm broken. She's like, maybe I'd always been broken and like, and really, and it's that place of like, there is something fundamentally Mm. wrong with how I was created and wired and who I am, which is different. Like she distinguishes between her who has like always been broken and dark inside versus somebody else who maybe was born whole and good, but like that she's not that she wasn't born whole and good. Um, Okay. This conversation about like the word broken, like I've had so many conversations about this where like so many people do, do feel this. And I just think that this word, and, and it's interesting, like some people use the word broken and almost like in a positive way. It's like, oh gosh, I was just, I was so broken. broken I've seen this open. used, and I've seen mm-hmm. this in, um, whenever, like within the church, a lot of people talking about being broken and they say it almost in a positive way, but I have never seen positive come from thinking of ourselves as broken. Like I, when people talk about being broken, I'm like, that's not language that I resonate with. That's not language that I encourage my clients to use. I believe that we are fundamentally whole and complete. And that is a foundational thing that I teach. Um, and I think that that's always more helpful. The idea that, and it has to, like a thing that's across humanity. Cause if we believe that some people are born broken and some people are whole and complete, then we have to spend all of our time mm. deciding which category we're in. Yeah. And 
I just believe it's been so much more useful for me. It's been so much more useful for my clients to be like, what if we just started with the assumption that everybody's whole and complete and you're whole and complete? Because you really do think it's true of everybody else anyway. This is just a thing that you really think only of yourself most of the time. Um, that we're whole and complete. But I was curious from you and I was curious from our listeners because I have heard some people use the word and say that they're broken. And I think what they mean is something like, uh, like I'm giving myself permission to acknowledge like the depth of my pain, something like that is what they mean. And I don't think that's bad. And it's one of those things where the, the word itself is just a word. It's always about the context and what we bring to the word and our personal relationship with the word and context and, and all of that. So I can't say nobody should use the word broken. Some people are probably using that word and it doesn't feel awful to them like it did to me. I don't know, but I'm curious, I'm curious about your just experience with the word broken. Like, is there ever a time whenever you've used that and it's felt good to you? Cause for me, it always feels bad. I think there was a long period when that felt that felt good because it's like, oh, okay, okay, this this makes sense. I'm broken. That's that felt good. Like, uh, like I'm all, I'm whole and I'm complete. I'm just broken, <laughs> which now does not appeal to me. That thought, and I can't really wrap my brain around how that made good sense to me. But I think for me, it was kind of like to be human is to be broken. Like that, we're just between what life does to us and what we due to ourselves just from being human and making mistakes. Now I like the word human much more than the word broken because human doesn't imply that there's anything wrong with you. It's just, well, it is a, it is a fact that you're human and it is a fact that to be human pretty much means you're going to make mistakes. And that was when, that was the last day I was in formal therapy was when, uh, when my therapist just said, um, Amanda, I just want you to know that, uh, you're, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just human. And I think you're coming here every week hoping that I'm going to tell you how to fix yourself and there's no fix for being human. And I went, you're totally right. It's been really nice knowing you. <laughs> I literally never went back to therapy again. So I was like, she is right. So I did very much resonate with that whole being broken. And then it took somebody saying that to me and me going, I'm not, I'm not I'm broken. Not. This is just what it means to be human. Awesome. Okay, we're done. Yes. Yes. And that, that energy, I've always, I've always resonated more with that. But some people, I I think they do mean something different, but like whenever I said broken, like I, I do think for me, it was more like what Faye was saying. Like I wasn't born good. Like that there is something fundamentally wrong with me. Yeah. Fundamentally wrong. Like, and it has that, and it it may not for everybody else. Um, Okay. Now here's one of those things where, um, (laughs) <laughs> we have a running joke in our families, family. And I think it maybe came from like a book or a movie or something. I think it actually is one from one of my romantic novels. I just can't remember which one. So if somebody knows where this came from originally, let me know. But um, it's this like doing something or saying something that's incongruent and knowing it is. And then when somebody calls it out, just saying like, don't point out my inconsistencies. I say that all the time. Like our family's like, don't point out my inconsistencies. It's rude. Um, but we all have them. Right. So the, the conversation around the word broken is one where I recognize I have an inconsistency and I'm keeping both of them because I like them. So on the one hand, I do not like the word broken because again, I think it has that thing of like being fundamentally flawed. And I do not believe anybody is fundamentally flawed. Right. And I stand on the fact that we are, are all whole and complete. 
Yes. I also love the Japanese practice of repairing broken pottery with gold. Yes. I was so hoping you were going to mention that because I can't remember the name of any of it. And I'm like, oh. I I looked it up while we were talking. It's spelled K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. So I think it's Kintsugi, but like, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. But yeah, but the Japanese for, I'm guessing a lot of you have heard of this, but those of you who who haven't, um, within Japanese culture, there is this practice process of taking pottery that's been broken into pieces and putting the pieces back together, but it it being repaired with gold. So then the place where there was a crack becomes this beautiful part of the pottery and it's just transformed and it's changed. And I think that there's a lot of, there's, there's some stuff in there though, that I also, that I also like, like if we go with the place of not that like there's anything fundamentally wrong with us. And I do believe we all are all just human and whole and complete, but also some of us have been through some stuff, some real stuff, some real stuff. And I'm kind of just saying this like off the fly. I didn't like pre-think about this, but I know that there's a lot of work that we can do to heal from things like PTSD. Okay. And I do believe in the concept of post-traumatic growth there's post-traumatic stress disorder, and then there's post-traumatic growth Mm. and how, when we go through these things, we actually come out stronger. But I do not believe that once we've gone through something that's truly traumatic, that it is erased. It can be healed, Mm -hmm. but I do believe that trauma leaves an indelible mark, a tattoo, if you will, like on the system. And it can be healed in so many ways, but like our nervous systems are not wired to forget not in the way that we think. And so whenever I think about trauma, there is also this thing of like, fundamentally I am whole. And then we go through things and it doesn't go away completely, but it can turn into this place of like, there was a break here and that break was healed, but it's not gone, but it's turned to gold, right? In a way where we actually can come out the other side of these situations in a post-traumatic growth sort of way in which, I don't like to say the word stronger, but there, there is, this is a thing we've said from the beginning, people who have been through stuff, we do come out changed. And I do like those people. And like, because again, we say like, you can't be in that place of like bypassing or just like passing over. There's a depth of knowing there is an alchemy of the soul, if you will, that happens in those places that don't happen in other places. And I think that they are visible, but it's sort of to me visible in this way of like, I see your cracks that are filled with gold. I see where you were hurt and it didn't make you less beautiful. It made you beautiful in a different way. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Is that that making sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so Mm. glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a paradox. I'm like, we're not broken, but when we are filled in with gold, (laughs) (laughs) we're not broken, but But we are, but the parts that, are broken. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yes. Don't put up any consistencies. There's going to be plenty of inconsistencies. <laughs> deal with it. Just deal with it. Just take them mm. both. And they're both, they're both good. Um, yeah. Because I mean, I look at, if I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through, I think I wouldn't like myself. Yeah. I mean, I like to be perfectly honest, like before I went through what I went through, I was kind of judgy. Okay, I was maybe a lot judgy. Sorry, people who knew me. <laughs> me too. A lot, a lot judgy. All of you. I'm so and, sorry. 
and lacked a lot of compassion. And then you, you go through those days and I'm like, how in the world could I judge anybody else? A lot of times with, with my clients, when they're starting to say something and I can see they're sort of holding back, I'm like, listen, I don't know what it is that like, you're feeling like you can't tell me, but like, there is actually like 0% chance that you're going to tell me anything like that went through your head in terms of thoughts that is worse than what has gone through mine. Like there is just no, there is no, no way you're not going to say anything that's going to shock me. You're not going to say anything that's going to judge me because I I'm very aware of what my head was like. Like I am very aware. And like you would be, and a lot of times at that point, like I will share some of my relevant thoughts. Like, okay, in case you don't believe me. In case you don't believe me. (laughs) There you go. Like here's a sampling. (laughs) This is a little bit of what my thoughts sounded. And sometimes I'm like, this is a little bit of what my thoughts sounded like this morning. (laughs) And they're like, they're like, really? I'm like, yes, you're fine. (laughs) Like, let it um, you know, it's okay to 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 let it out and to have those human moments. Um that was actually part of a larger train of thought, which I just lost. Do you remember what we were talking about? Uh, broken, inconsistencies, gold, Japanese people, these books. <laughs> we probably weren't talking about Japanese people. Let me just throw that one I don't even know. Thing. We'll just say that that was, that was a good, that was a good conversation. And we'll, um, oh, I remember, yeah. I remember saying Yay. So now, the ways that, the ways that we grow and like the stuff that I went through, I do not look back at any of the stuff and think that it was like good or good or good or fun, but I really did change in, in different ways and, and yeah. becoming, I am much more compassionate. I'm much more understanding. I am significantly less judgmental. Um, there are so many things that did come out of what I went through and that was fantastic. Um, but that's one of those conversations where I feel like you have to be careful, like, because when somebody's in it and it's like, oh my God, I actually had somebody say this to me. Like, I was in the midst of things being like really, really hard. And they're like, oh, but you're going to grow so much through it. Like, that is not a thing you say to somebody who's mm-hmm. suffering. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I'm like, I'm not a person that I'm like, this bad thing happened so that you could grow. It's just like, life happens. <laughs> And it creates an opportunity. It creates a, a thing that we can grow through. Um, yeah, but post-traumatic growth is a thing that I believe in, that I experienced. And I came through very severe PTSD and trauma and all that stuff, different in a way that I like. Like, I like who I became through it. That's what I was saying. Yes. So like, yeah, I got my cracks and you can see it and like, but like, I'm like, I do get all this cracks. gold. They're filled in with gold. Like, yeah, my, my, my pot is very cracked. That's so much gold. So the much more, gold. the more cracks, the more gold. I, I honestly, but like that metaphor, I hadn't thought about that until right now, but I do feel that way now. When I look back at so much that I experienced friend, oh my gosh. And when I just list like what I've gone through, like I had to do a, at one point somebody's like, can you do like a, like a, can you just give me like a rough idea of like trauma stuff? I'm like, just listing it. Like, okay. A, how long do you have? Uh, and yeah. B, like, okay, just the highlights. It's like, okay, <laughs> verbal abuse, gaslighting, like emotional abuse, physical abuse. We got like sexual trauma, medical trauma. Like, like I'm, I'm like, if there's a type of like abuse or trauma, I have most of them. Check all yeah. the, bu- just to select all at the top. <laughs> Save yourself the time. You know, and like chronic illness and the things that I've, the, the chronic pain and the stuff. But at this point, every one of those things does kind of feel like gold in some ways, because whenever I'm talking to somebody else, there are so many experiences that they're having that I'm able to normalize, Yeah, you know, and to repeat back to them, like where they can't see their value, like they really do see themselves as broken, but they don't see me as broken and everything where they're like, oh, here's this thing. And this just means I'm a bad person. I'm like, and then I'm like, okay, well, I went through X, Y, Z. That's almost a parallel. I'm like, am I? 
I'm like, well, no, you're fine. Right. And it's given me, give me so much gold to work with, like with clients that I have to say things that I'm like, I would, there was a time when I'm like, I will never, ever be grateful for that thing. And I still don't force myself to try to be grateful for things, but like every once in a while now I'm like, shoot, I felt a little bit of gratitude for that thing that happened. Yeah. I guess never say never like not fully, but I'm like, dang it. Am I grateful for that thing that happened? I don't know. I don't have to define that, but I have moments. It's not like I'm grateful or I'm not, but sometimes I feel grateful for negative things that I've experienced because of how it lets me help people. But when I try to force myself to be grateful, so that blah, 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 it was toxic. Not going to happen. No, but it happens a lot. Pretty way. Now it sometimes happens because I'm like, oh, look at those gold cracks. Yeah. Get those cute, shiny gold cracks. Okay. All right. So those were my big things, the, the PTSD and the, the grounding exercises and the brokenness. Um, all right. What else was standing out to you in these chapters? It's amazing how much is in a two-page I prologue. It's, and... I know. Two-page prologue and a three-page chapter and oh, four-page chapter. Yeah. I The other thing that jumped out, I mean, her whole thing where she can't tell the line anymore between her and Amarantha, that's... That's interesting, but that that kind of goes along with everything else. Whereas this, um, her thing with Tamlin that she has going on here, where well, she's hold on. saying, "Hold on, can we stop with that oh, one first yeah. before we go to Tamlin?" Of course. Okay, so let's go, let's go to that one because I was really curious. You marked that one, and I marked that one. Okay, so she said there's kind of blurred between her and Amarantha. Like, do you see that as a positive or a negative? Like, where's the where's the what's the part in that for you that feels significant for your journey? Um, feels significant for my journey. Um, or for, or for the lines, yeah. I, I mean, does it feel like I a like? Just, does it like I don't? There's there's a way for me in which it's um like it's definitely it's not a bad thing that the that the lines aren't blurred because I I don't like it when there's this really clear like that to me is a sign of of really bad writing when I'm watching a movie or reading a book and the villain is just pure evil and the good person is just pure good and you're like yeah kill off that person hate them so I love that the lines are blurred for her because it's like I mean not that I love it for poor Feyre that she's having to go through hating herself as much as she hated Amarantha that sucks but the fact that it she can't clearly go hate you love me it's the fact that she can't do that anymore and she can't be all judgy I do like that a lot yeah. Okay. Cause it's more, it's more true to real life. Right. And like, I've thought I've, I've had that thought a number of times, like when it comes to things like boundaries or places where there was abuse, I'm like, they weren't villains. Yeah. It wasn't like they were the villain and I was the victim. And there was this space. I'm like, it wasn't that clear cut. Now, again, the thing still wasn't okay, but this is, you know, season call back to season one, understanding and acceptance. And again, a lot of, a lot of times, like the final thing is hundred percent, not okay. And also it's not because they were evil, right? Sometimes it's because they were broke, broken, um, <laughs> the, you know, that hurt people, hurt people. And none of that's an excuse. And again, I think that's the difference between like understanding isn't the same as condoning, yeah. like but yeah, but I, I have found that too. I'm like, and the, the amount of time, the amount of times remember I've thought like, gosh, if this person was just like purely evil, this would be so much easier. Yeah. Um, even situations like with my family or like with my dad, I've got complicated, I've got complicated stuff, you know, with my family, family but, stuff, right. But there were instances like with my dad, where it was stuff that was like very much not okay. Yeah. And he was at every family dinner, 
every ball game, everything. Like he was there for my stuff. He supported me. He was stable in a lot of ways. Like it wasn't, he wasn't evil. And some of the stuff was not okay. Um, And some of that was because of his upbringing. And like, I see him doing better than his parents. And I see that he was trying and he was making an effort in that, um, how it makes sense with all those things. And I have so much understanding and it wasn't okay. And I'm like, that's all so, it's also messy. It's not the same as like evil, not evil, where it's super easy to just be like, oh, this person's cut out completely or kill them completely. You know what I mean? Like, or in the story, like kill them because they're evil. It's not that. So I agree. So it's very true to real life. Um, Okay. So similar to that down on the the very first page where she says, I was the butcher of innocence and the savior of a land. Oh yeah. That line, I was like, again, that place of like, it's not like the same thing for us. Like with her, it wasn't, she's not this or this, like there's this blurred line, but like even with ourselves where, and, and this is very much some of the, um, you know, like shadow work. Right. And the ability to be fully honest where it's like, if we, if we've decided that being non-judgmental is virtuous, we're so prone to then ignore or disregard or justify the places where we're actually being judgmental. And the truth is we're both. I'm both. I'm like, I am primarily a non-judgmental person and I value that. And sometimes I am still so judgy. Like I'm predominantly a kind person. And sometimes I'm really a bitch. (laughs) I just am. And, and there is a, like, Feyre is not in a healthy space here. Like she's not, this is, this is, this is not a healthy space, but I do believe that a healthy space is an honest one. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And as much as other people are not villain, like they're not good people or bad people, we're not good people or bad people. It's, it's always more nuanced than that. Harry Potter quote, Sirius Black, the world is not split into what does he say? Good people and death eaters. Is how he says that the world is not splendid. Good people and death eaters. We all have light and dark within us. And it's like, which we choose to act on that matters. I probably did not get get that exactly right. But I loved that quote from Sirius Black in Harry Potter, where Harry's like, am I like, am I like this? Or am I like this? He's like, everybody's got both. Everybody's got light and dark within them. And so as much as she's not healthy, the there's freedom and honesty. Well, I think part of why she's struggling with it so hard, we don't get to see it here. We'll get to see it a little bit later on. But the, because she is the savior of the land, that's nobody's nobody's talking anymore about what she did to break the curse. They're not talking about that moment that shattered her completely. They're just saying, oh, you said so, so she's like a superhero to everybody else. And that's why it's even harder for her, because nobody's saying anything bad about nobody's pointing at it. Nobody's giving it that even like you're the savior of our land and you're still a mess. And they're like, no, you're just like she's just being worshipped. I think that's what's making it harder for her. And I know that's even a thing like like in parenting. I remember learning like sometimes you'll notice if you if you give praise to a child, sometimes you'll say, you'll give a compliment or a praise to a kid and they'll immediately do something horrible. 
and that the psychology in the kid's mind is like, like you turn around and say, oh, that's so sweet. You're holding your baby brother. You're such a good big sister. And then immediately she'll do something like a mess. And it's, and it's because in their mind, they, they know that they're not all good. So you say something that makes it sound like they're all good and they instantly have to like write the thing. They're like, oh, they, I got to balance that back out. I got to make sure my mom doesn't think that I'm perfect because I know I'm a mess and I know that I actually want to stab my brother right now. So I'm going to pinch him just so that she can see that I'm not. So there's, there's That's layers. so interesting. There's so That's a, I love that point though. I think, I think that you are right on about this, about like it, about it bothering her. And I'm, I've, I've seen that, um, a lot. And yeah. And the same thing, it's like in our society, it's like, let's, let's just talk about the good stuff and like, let's ignore, um, you know, the bad stuff. And that was interesting. So I think the concept of having like a victim mentality, I mean, that's really like, especially within the personal development world. I mean, that's like a thing, like people, it's like, don't do that. That's awful. Quit it. Right. Like there's so much shame around having a victim mentality. I believe, I think we all have that at times and in situations uh, for sure. But the interesting thing is I have seen this thing happen on occasion where somebody who seems very negative or they seem like they're very much playing the victim, it was more so for that reason, like where they had been in an environment of a lot of false positivity. And it was almost like in a place where everybody wants to pretend like everything is good. It it was almost like their way of like, these are my negative emotions and I'm keeping them. You can't make me get rid of them. They're mine. And I need to speak up for them and voice them. And they're real. And it was fascinating. Like whenever I understood this with, um, the couple of situations, like I'd never heard anybody teach about that happening. I don't know if anybody, other coaches have seen this. I've seen it a couple of times where at the root of it, I've seen people who are very, very, very negative. And it's when they're in an environment where everybody else is really, really positive. And I think it's the same thing. It's like, well, everybody's talking about the positive, but like, there's also this and almost like they felt like they had to fight for their right to be negative. And then it just came, like, it came across as them like complaining all the time, or even being sounding like a victim all the time about how hard everything is. It was really just them trying to like balance the scales of <laughs> it is also hard. It was fascinating. It was one of those those moments where I sometimes geek out about the psychology behind all the things. Um, uh, I can get a little like <laughs> clinical about the things where I'm like more interested in how fascinating it is than the fact yeah. that that was hurting somebody. I'm like, no, no. And I also am really compassionate it's, for the fact yes. that that's happening. Right. That's fascinating. That <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of some other stuff further in the in the series too, with other characters who also are having to, we'll talk about that when we come back for the whole series roundup. But yeah, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely that happening. I love that. But I like, but this was, but I really like that you brought this up that, yeah, the, I think, cause I think we crave on some level, yeah, the honesty. And I think in relationship for it to be, here's all of me. And can you like, can you love all of me? Can you accept all of me? Not just like the pretty parts and the idea of like, let's just, you know, she's being put in a position where it's like, let's ignore the ugly parts and just go with the pretty parts. And like, it never feels right. And I think it eats away at this whole, um, and what she's, you know, and I think she's been asked to do this for ages. Like she hasn't, she hasn't even had space to, she hasn't healed any of this trauma because you're not supposed to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's their unspoken agreement. That was the other. That was the other passage that you had marked and I had yeah. marked in chapter one. Was he say this unspoken agreement not to talk about it? Is that the one you're talking about? Yes, yes. And they they phrase it as 
what was it like so that she didn't one oh yeah not uh, to it had become our unspoken agreement not to let amarantha win by acknowledging that she still tormented us in our dreams and waking hours okay like i get <laughs> please make noises she's not gonna know damn it she doesn't know if you guys chat about it and go to therapy together about it it's not gonna make amarantha more of a winner she doesn't somehow come back from the dead and go triumph i made you guys have to go to therapy no it would have helped it would have helped a lot of things guys and like and i get like i have compassion for like okay i see how this this somehow is making sense in their mind but there's also this place of One of the most basic things when it comes to looking at the way we're handling something is like, is it working? <sighs> we're three months in yeah. and it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better, guys. Something recently about like the like the, the American way of like, if something doesn't work, do it harder. Um, <laughs> like, there's also this question of like it's not working like how much longer are you gonna keep doing this thing that's not working like the definition of insanity right doing yeah. the same thing over and over and expecting a different result it's like mm, just you're doing harder this time though gosh right <laughs> where we have to be able to process through things and like she's not being given space to process through and work through what she went through so she's just keeping it and she's just stuck in this place and we're stuck in the cycle of trauma and it's just going 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 it's not getting better because she's not talking about it um which by the way so this i do think is pretty uh similar to american culture Mm -hmm. don't talk about it just talk about the positive you're having nightmares and you have ptsd yeah go keep that over there Let's just come over here and probably not everybody, but, um, certain and certain families may or may not be my family. It's like, let's just pretend, <laughs> let's just not talk about it. If you don't talk about it, it's not there. Um, again, guys, you can't, um, you cannot heal a thing that you will not acknowledge is real. That's not how it's going to work. Like very first step to healing anything is you have to acknowledge it's a real thing that needs healing, that it's actually there, but this is not true in other cultures. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about this on season one in season one. Um, but um, I read, I was reading the book, uh, Waking the Tiger, Tiger by Dr. Levine, and he's talking about stress stuff, um, and that whenever he was studying trauma healing, he did work with more like um, shamanic cultures and how they handle this, and that in a lot of these other cultures, trauma is considered a tribal problem. It is, if you think about it. I mean, we're all so connected. It definitely is. I love that. Yes. And that was the idea. It's like, if one person has trauma, yeah. it infects, it affects the entire tribe. That's Therefore, so it's not, it's not like, Hey, you have trauma, go deal with it. There is like, um, and he walked through sort of like what the ceremony looks like, but it's like, it's a complete tribal wide wow. experience of healing where they walk through it together for this one person's healing. And based on the research and the science that in order to be able to self-regulate, we have to first co-regulate with other people. I don't know if trauma healing really is going to happen well in any any other situation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was right. But I'm like, but we, we do the opposite. It's like this. It's like, just don't talk about it. Yeah. Don't talk about it or they win. I'm like, no. Oh my gosh. Yes. I am spoil I I'm having a spoiler, a spoiler full conversation in my head about later in the, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to say it, but yes, when she finally has her breakthrough later. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, this... we, we need, yeah, we need to do this. So, um, so not only did she have trauma, not only did she have this experience, now she is supposed to not talk about it, keep it down and just pretend that everything is good um, and let the <laughs> this part outweigh the other in a way that's imbalanced and keeping her stuck in trauma. Good times. Yeah. And then here she's saying, you know, and I'd do it all over again. I'd do it for him. I'd just do it all over again. She's just still so... I. I'd gladly wreck myself and my immortal soul. Gladly. So there's there's that kind of relationship, <laughs> which I'm certainly grateful not to think like that, but uh, God bless her. <sighs> That's rough. That's, that's a special kind of I don't know. Is that codependency? Is that, it can, could you label it that? Or I just love throwing labels at things. <laughs> it helps me feel better about them. Like how codependency, I've already been through that therapy. <laughs> we label that. It's definitely. As we go through, that would be a good one to circle back through as we see some of the next few chapters. Um, yes. Actually, speaking of that, I think in, so this was end of, end of this chapter and then chapter is it chapter two where we see a little bit more of their relationship i think so so let's actually come back and ask that question in the next episode um where we actually get to see a bit more this is her talking about the relationship um in the next episode we're going to get to actually see a little bit more of what um so we had Feyre's dream we had Feyre by herself in the middle of the night because they're not talking about it but in the next chapter preview we're going to get to get a, a look at what daily life and interaction looks like between Feyre and Tamlin. And we will plan to try to answer the question of, is this codependent? Is this codependent? Do we have another label? Another pretty label we can wrap up all around and put it on there. There lots of them happening. Okay, friends. Well, thank you so much for joining us today um, for our first episode of Okay. Book two, Mist and Fury. Mist and Fury, and we cannot wait to see you back here for our, back here for our next episode, where we will be talking through chapter two. Bye, friends. Okay. Bye.